Especially of an animal in a wild state after escape from captivity or domestication. Alcatraz, Arab Spring, one billion rising. Freedom schools, the Maroons, rebellion thriving. We've been rising since the dawn of creation. Sun in the blood of our veins, liberation runs from Muhammad. Welcome to Feral Visions, a decolonial feminist podcast brought to you by Liberation Spring. I'm your host, Anjali Nathupadia. We begin with a content note or trigger warning. Here at Feral Visions, we go deep, and that often means courageously addressing white supremacist, imperialist, heteropatriarchal, capitalist, settler, colonial violence in order to support healing and transformation. Bypassing isn't an option. The only way is through. The time for denial is over, and today's a great day to keep it real. Amidst the show's focus on unapologetic truth-telling, then, please, practice excellent self and community care while listening. My father worked with the Taliban, actually, in the 90s on behalf of 76 or Union Oil. And this was revealed by some international press at the time, like this BBC article titled Taliban in Texas for Talks on Gas Pipeline. The article reads, quote, A senior delegation from the Taliban movement in Afghanistan is in the United States for talks with an international energy company that wants to construct a gas pipeline from Turkmenistan across Afghanistan to Pakistan. A spokesman for the company, Unocal, said the Taliban were expected to spend several days at the company's headquarters in Sugarland, Texas. The article continues on to say, The radio has reported several visits to Kabul by Unocal and Brightest company officials over the past few months. So this is when my father was gone on business trips for half of the year and coming home with caviar and jewel-encrusted daggers, aka unapologetic bribes. So as a middle schooler, my sister and I were mostly annoyed that the caviar was useless because our family is vegetarian and our parents wouldn't let us play with the knives. And a couple of years later, though, as a high schooler, I started to critically think about what the hell was going on. So when we moved from the Bible Belt, from so-called Sugarland, Texas, to New Delhi, to India, the geography of my childhood was actively being sculpted 
by proposed pipeline routes. So later, as you can see right in this investigative article from Counterpunch titled Bush, Enron, Unocal, and the Taliban, people started asking right more critical questions about what on earth was actually taking place in the mid-90s. And you can see here, right, this article was dated several years later. So how in the hell can we make sense of this? Well, the thing is, militarism turns humans into native informants and private companies like my father, right? It turns humans into obedient soldiers. Maybe they're desperate for college or for insurance or for job security or for citizenship. And it also turns millions and millions of other people into cannon fodder. So petrocapitalism is still at the heart of U.S. imperialism today, such that the most recent and ongoing U.S. occupation of Iraq was unapologetically called Operation Iraqi Liberation or OIL as an acronym. This is literally how unapologetic this fuckery is. So the military-industrial complex provides the structural support for American vampirism, fueling wastefulness. So native peoples naturally resist outside invaders desecrating their lands and waters to steal from them. So the extractivism industries like oil and gas here have to rely on governmental and private force so that they can continue stealing. So this is clearly horrifying. For U.S. empire's murderous rampage to continue unabated, millions of people in the U.S. have to be intimately out of touch with mortality, with how murderous, right, these atrocities are. They've got to be out of touch with morality or a sense of ethics. So what lies are lodged how deeply within our collective consciousness that could have us spending more on defense than the next 10 countries combined? What deception has the war machine's militainment spread that could make this seem natural or normal to so many of our loved ones? Let's break it down. So first, the U.S. Military Industrial Complex, or MIC, trains us to perceive our precious Earth as a barren rock to be plundered. Fracking, mining, drilling, bombing, the Earth deserves no respect within this militaristic paradigm. So seeing the Pacific and Indian country as sites for bombing and massive weapons testing, doing uranium mining across the African continent, reservations and elsewhere, so on this front, it's really important for me to bring in, right, the defense of the islands of Kaha'olawe and the Hawaiian archipelago. How about we learn a little bit from George Helm, who's one of the most well-known Hawaiian sovereignty activists from Molokai, right? So especially as a part of the 1970s through to the present, right, movement of trying to kick the U.S. out 
of its illegal occupation of Hawaii that, of course, persists till today. Why is Hawaii allegedly a part of the U.S., right? Uh, so Helm was one of the folks at the core of PKO, or the Protect Koho Olave Ohana, or family, in the 1970s, who was trying to get the U.S. military to stop bombing the island. It's an important cultural and ceremonial site for Native Hawaiians. He actually disappeared under mysterious circumstances during this land defense in 1977 and has since been hailed as one of the heroes of the Aloha Aina movement. So let's actually listen to him right at a meeting with some U.S. military officials right at the height of the PKO movement in the 70s, the Protect Kaho'olawe Ohana. Let's just have a listen to George Helm. My name is George Helm, and I'm the uh, director of the Protect Kaho'olawe Association. This organization came into being as a result of a commitment and a serious concern for the Hawaiian's future and the human attitudes that will come with her. In essence, our concern is toward making pathways for the proper use of Hawaii's natural resources, her people, her land, her waters, and all which comes willingly from the Aina. Every island is potent. Every part of each island, small or big, is significantly valuable. Every little drop of water, every little grain of sand have given us the mighty ocean and the fruits of this pleasant land. Philosophically, Kaho'olawe represents a conflict between two different attitudes and ideas of the way man should relate to his environment. What we're involved with is a conflict between concern versus apathy. We are definitely in need for a careful examination of the direction of Hawaii, which she is headed toward. Our purpose is to collect the best criteria as possible for research and make aware to the general public what Kaho'olawe really is and means historically, environmentally, and socio-ethnically. She is not a barren rock that should be used as a target for military bombing practices in the name of national defense. The strength of our national defense lies in the spirit of the people, not in the contradictions of warfare, the contradictions of political garbage, nor the contradictions of gross misuse of economics. How powerful was that excerpt from George Helm? And if y'all want to learn more from this Aloha Aina activist, I really encourage you to do so. So did you hear what he was closing out sharing, right? Where does genuine security come from, right? The spirit of a people and that are committed to defending land and water, right? Not in these ridiculous, right, economic and political tricks. Uh, and how very beneficial for him to just name so clearly for us, right? We're talking about fundamentally incompatible worldviews when this, right, militaristic mentality is imposed on peoples that actually have substantial respect for the earth and for one another and for ourselves and for our dignity, that's fundamentally incompatible with the kind of militarized propaganda that was being imposed on Hawaii at the time, that's still being imposed on Hawaii and the rest of the Asia-Pacific region on the earth more broadly right now.
So the thing is, people in the settler colonial U.S. have been massively brainwashed, and in part by what? By something called militainment, which needs to be unlearned yesterday. So Dr. Roger Stahl's 2009 book, Militainment Incorporated, War, Media, and Popular Culture explains this pervasive cultural phenomena. And you know what? There's actually a documentary of the same title, Militainment, that I'd really invite y'all to check it out. I've been teaching it since it came out. You can see here this word, it's a portmanteau, right? A combo of military and entertainment, right? And so it's really important if you ask me that we take seriously being able to identify militainment where we see it. Right, and then be able to raise awareness around it so that hopefully loved ones and our lives aren't similarly getting deceived by the way that entertainment has become so hyper-militaristic, right? So what would be one example of this? Something called scopophilia. Scope, like say the telescope, right? Or a scope of a gun, right? And philia, love of. So what's one of the things that Professor Stahl talks about in this book, right? How militarism breeds scopophilia, literally people being trained to see other humans through the scope of a gun. So I don't know if any of y'all have ever played, right, any video games that encourage that, right, tool for seeing before, right, but that mode of perception is being fused with, right, pleasure, with entertainment, right, for literally billions of people across the planet right now, for sure due to, right, combative video games, but also a lot of other forms of media and cultural production too. So I'm actually gonna write, just read a little bit of an excerpt, right, or a synopsis of the documentary, right, in hopes that some of y'all scope it out if you haven't seen it. Um, it actually, a second edition of it was recently released, um, and you can see it for free online. So again, if you haven't checked it out already, please do. So it offers, right, according to the synopsis, a fascinating, disturbing, and timely glimpse into the militarization of American popular culture, examining how U.S. news coverage has come to resemble Hollywood film, video games, and quote, reality TV, end quote, in its glamorization of war mobilizing an astonishing range of media examples, from news anchors' idolatry of military machinery to the impact of government propaganda on war reporting. And the film asks, how has war taken its place in the culture as an entertainment spectacle? And how does presenting war as entertainment affect the ability of citizens to evaluate the necessity and real human costs of military action. 
the film's broken down into sections right around different components of this. Uh, and so, again, I'd be curious to actually get a sense from y'all if you can think of any examples of militainment right now. So I mentioned different, right, combative video games, right, in this synopsis, right, also news coverage came up. Are there any other examples that y'all can think of? So I know that, for example, there was all sorts of, right, fun, right, attempts at recruitment into the military when I was in high school, and that was also super common when I was in college on my undergrad campus. I don't know if any of y'all have seen anything like that in terms of youth recruitment, right, by the U.S. military. So again, having these ropes courses that seem adventurous and fun that are, again, in people's bodies associating the idea of militarism with fun or with adventure, right? Uh, Parni sharing Marvel Comics, a hundred percent, right? Uh, and so again, associating, right, being a soldier or being a part of the military with being able to see the world, right? Like we see in commercials on TV all the time, right? Asian in America, KKKA, youth recruitment through gaming community. You can say that again. Jackson Greenson sharing toys for children. Absolutely, right? Iguana Rose sharing glorifying historical fiction. A hundred percent, right? Um, and we're going to talk about gender soon, but one of the things actually that comes up that Dr. Stahl names so well in his scholarship in, around militainment is literally, if y'all haven't seen this, like looking at the G.I. Joe dolls from the original dolls, say taking it back to the 50s up through today and just seeing like the size of the biceps getting bigger and bigger. So this right particular rendition of this kind of rabid cis heteromasculinity, right, getting baked into our collective consciousness through militainment is a force to be reckoned with, right? Asian in America, KKKA, sharing educational opportunities Absolutely. Um, and so devastatingly on that front, as I'm sure y'all remember from earlier this year, we also need to talk about how, right, soldiers are seen as completely disposable too, as evidenced in the heartbreaking case of the 2020 murder of the 20-year-old soldier Vanessa Guillen at Fort Hood in Texas and so many others like her, right? So we have got, right, the rendering of people into, right, disposable casualties, right, using that term very loosely. Of course, we can problematize that. We've got scopophilia, right, just natural Realizing seeing people through the scope of right artillery and weaponry and fusing that right with right intimate feelings right with chemical manipulation right with memories like people having a good time getting together to play Call of Duty with their buddies and now that's merged in with their understanding of friendship and connection and maybe peer group acceptance for our youth right we've got to be able to disentangle these threads to understand why why militarism has the hold that it does, right? Parney sharing disturbed to find out Facebook owns Oculus. Oh, so much we could get into, right? Related to this, right, government, corporate, 
fusion when it comes to military. And on that front, that's super important to get into because a lot of our loved ones have this right old school misunderstanding, right? As if there's a public and a private, like there's governments of nation states like the US or France or Canada, and then there's private companies and they're different and they're separate. But the thing is that's actually never been the case and it's never been less the case than it is now. So actually I'll just give a little bit of a spoiler alert, right? Um, I can share right now one of the most legendary, right? Authors doing work around that is Professor Cynthia Inlow. So you can see like in her book here that I pulled up for y'all to scope out that's called Maneuvers, the International Politics of Militarizing Women's Lives. Um, when we actually look at how this happens on the ground, like you're sharing, Parney, right? Governments and corporations have always already been in bed with one another. So a careful study of globalization makes this patently obvious, like a whole lot of us have been doing at minimum since the 90s. So I also pulled up another one of her legendary texts here called Globalization and Militarism, Feminists Make the Link. And again, Professor Cynthia Inlow is one of the most well-known scholars in this area. So if you want to learn more about militarism and specifically from a feminist perspective that really looks at sex and gender and sexuality, I really invite you to scope out her work. And again, the thing is on that front, when we look at the role that globalization plays here, it's really not as simplistic as so many of our loved ones still seem to think, right? Like, as if there's an idea of totally autonomous, totally separate nation states that are vying for, right, ascendance to dominance or supremacy, and they're separate from corporations. Um, again, that's super politically naive, uh, and any, right, stu student of globalization knows that, right? So especially, and this is kind of funny because in some sort of libertarian spaces, right, across the board politically, right? When people talk about, say, governments versus corporations or corporations versus governments, right? It's so often contingent on this, right, really simplistic, naive, right, inaccurate understanding of what's actually going on. So also on that front, revolving doors much, right? We can see this so often, right? Like whether it's with Biden's proposed picks right now or in previous administrations, in a US context and elsewhere, right? So many of these governmental figureheads, right? And corporate, right? CEOs, spokespeople, consultants and the like are consistently going back and forth with one another. So we've really got to pay attention to that. So what's one of the other ways that militarism impacts our consciousness, that it deceives us, that it trains our perception? So this is tragic, but how about we talk about the soundscape of war? Why is it that there are children all over the world right now who are learning how to differentiate between the sounds of different bombs dropping that for their very survival have had to differentiate between the soundscape of different kinds of artillery, right? Jackson Greens and Sharon, absolutely chemical manipulation. People have been indoctrinated by sly hijacking. You can say that again, right? So again, what does it mean 
if we just back up for a moment and we consider, look at the literacies that are being cultivated, right? Like that soundscape, instead of being able to differentiate between different bird calls, right? Kids all over the planet having to differentiate between the soundscapes of this different, right? Machinery of death, right? That's something that militarism by virtue of survival, right? Is doing to some people's perception throughout the planet that are the recipients of of, right, these weapons of mass destruction on the part of the U.S., right, if we're going to be honest. Um, right, militarism also deceives us by turning billions of people throughout the world and our imagination into potential or alleged terrorists, right? And on this tech, um, front, I want to bring up a text. I wonder if any of y'all have heard of it by Dr. Jasbir Poir. It's called Terrorist Assemblages home and nationalism in queer times. And this actually, when I was doing my first master's thesis back in 2007, was actually at the core of the research that I did because it looks at, in large part, the way that, right, the military-industrial complex and the so-called war on terror impacts our understanding of sexuality, of gender, of citizenship, of the most intimate aspects of our identities. And so if any of y'all want to scope that out, I really encourage you to do so. So we were kind of talking about gender earlier, like how militarism right, really encourages this kind of, right, tough guy approach to understanding masculinity. Um, but you can see here, right, if we scope out the work of Professor Poire, which has been absolutely legendary since it was published, she actually looks at the way that, especially the US's war of terror, is really impacting how we understand sexuality, race, gender, nation, class, ethnicity. So we'd be super well advised to consider all of those impacts also. And especially, because this is one of the most famous works in right queer theory that's come out within the past 20 years, she really looks at, right, how do understandings of queerness right, get impacted by the U.S. war of terror, right? Because there's a lot for us to get into there. So for example, right, one of, as I know many of y'all are well aware, the most famous sort of co-optations, right, of the movement for queer liberation, right, has been related to don't ask, don't tell, right? So so many more people would be, for example, identifying some kind of of vague LGBT advocacy with don't ask, don't tell, right? Letting folks, regardless of sexuality, right? Regardless of identity, regardless of gender expression into the military before they would be, say, throwing down for Chelsea Manning, who's still being screwed over, right? As a whistleblower, this is such an important, right? pairing for us to really contemplate if we want to understand the way that here in this case, say queerness is getting right included in perceptions of militarism in a way that strengthens U.S. state-sanctioned terrorism as opposed to providing a substantial challenge to it, right? Let's be Scary Diamond saying, oh yeah, queer necropolitics. You can say that again, right? 
So again, it's not just pretentious jargon when Professor Poir here is saying the term homo nationalism. What on earth does that mean? Right? So this is right as a part of a project of strengthening, right, U.S. empire, saying, okay, 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 more people can come through, right, if you're down to murder black and brown people throughout the planet, then I guess this is acceptable, right, and from a superficial perspective, some people might say if they've kind of, their imagination's been co-opted by the diversity and inclusion <laughs> diversionary campaign, just immediately default to the way that we've been groomed to just jump to celebration like this is a celebration this is awesome break out the champagne without pausing to realize hang on a minute what does this mean for more queer folks that are about to be massacred throughout the rest of the planet right like there are lots of different ways that we can actually think about this yeah um so shout out to this text for sure it's a really big deal and i so invite y'all to check it out um, if you get the chance it is um super theoretically dense just as a little bit of a heads up uh, and so I'm sure you can tell just by right getting into that that something else we've got to get into here is how militarism indoctrinates our loved ones into unchecked nationalism, right? So this is really something to be on the lookout for also. I wonder if you've noticed this with anyone, right? Maybe any of your loved ones, right? Because that's one of the things that allows, right, the waging of genocide throughout the Swana region, right? Southwest Asia, to be sure, other parts of the planet also, uh, and completely unnecessarily, so I also really do want to give a shout out to, right, yes, the Drone Bombers with Pride flag stickers. So if you haven't seen the Media Education Foundation documentary that's called Pride Denied, that's also about homonationalism, I really want to encourage y'all to check that out too. Precisely, right? So again, we've got to be able to move beyond just the most superficial diversity and inclusion mentality that would have people just totally uncritically celebrating inclusion onto the Titanic, right? Because we can imagine so much more substantially than that, right? Especially for those of us that are interested in collective liberation. So like, right, the Aloha Aina Hawaiian Sovereignty late activist George Helm was inviting us to do in that excerpt we listened to from the archives earlier, right, to remember that genuine security and safety doesn't come from, right, tough guys in a military massacring people all over the planet, right? And so that's one of the things that the, right, global feminist movement, right, to end militarism has most magnificently invited us to consider, right, is what's genuine security look like so that then, right, these, right, warmongers don't get to monopolize conversations about security or safety the way that we see the so-called security state trying to do, right? They're not the people that gets to determine for all of us what security looks like. We've got our own counter definitions that are much, right, more consensual, right, and just for our peoples, for the planet. So that's absolutely up for debate. They don't get to just dictate that to us the way that they try to, yeah? Uh, and so I'd also just want to mention that that MEF, right, or Media Education Foundation, has a lot of other super important documentaries related to, right, the 
complete and utter softball coverage in the corporate media of militarism. So if you're not familiar with some of those, I really invite you to check them out. They're all available for free online and they seriously merit our attention. I've been teaching tons of them for over 13 years. And again, that organization, right, is mostly, right, comprised of, right, folks with all of the graduate credentials that are overwhelmingly university professors that do work around critical media literacy and different topics. Um, however, of course, one massive asterisk it is a progressive organization. They're not a decolonial organization. So when you do get into that material, I invite all of the healthy skepticism around right this sort of liberal hand-wringing and pearl-clutching related to our democracy, quote-unquote, being threatened, because, of course, we know better than that, right? And we're about to segue into a little bit of a critique of that languaging in a second. Um, but yeah, please do check out some MEF documentaries around war coverage and lack of war coverage in the corporate media. Um, I also bring this up now and really wanna strongly advocate this because this is something that I see so few people of our loved ones understanding in the mainstream right now. And this is also such a trip to be engaging amidst this right closing out of the Trump administration and segueing into the Biden administration. Because if there's one thing, right, that Trump actually didn't do, it was substantially start new wars. If there's one thing that Biden does have a horrific track record of doing, right, it is being an unapologetic warmonger, right? And so there's this strange sort of Right, dialogue and lack of dialogues taking place related to interventionism, related to multilateralism globally right now that I'm really not seeing people do justice to. I could even share what's it called, this uh, sort of like allegedly this sort of gateway to the QAnon, right, scene, this film that's called Out of the Shadows or something like that. I watched it and it's very interesting because there's some languaging within that film related to a little bit of this critique that is completely scholastically on point of the militarization of Hollywood films and media, albeit, right, the couple of protagonists in this film uh, aren't using any sort of scholarly languaging. It's not like they've got citations or receipts to back up some of what they have seen. And yet they're, what they're gesturing to, right, as lay people that maybe, again, haven't actually studied this in school but are trying to make sense of what it is that they're noticing in terms of politics in Hollywood, it is actually on point. And so since this is one of my backgrounds, it's super important to name, right, if people are completely delegitimating folks that are, right, sort of QAnon adjacent without actually listening to what they're saying, this right here can't be a baby that gets thrown out with the bathwater of just wanting to completely render people 100% ridiculous without actually listening to them. And I know a lot of people aren't in a space to want to listen to folks, right, that are trying to make sense of the world using that form of storytelling, which is one of the reasons why for me, as someone that has graded how many hundreds of 101 level political science papers, right, as a political scientist educator in my life, 
I can see from a mile away what these folks, right, that don't necessarily have training or trying to understand, right, what they're trying to piece together without the cultural vocabulary that people might, right, invoke in other spaces. And that actually they are onto something on that front. So let's not let that piece get co-opted, right, or get completely tainted via some guilt of association because it's getting conflated with some other legit ridiculousness, right? Um, and on that front, right, around so much of this, frankly, I have been seriously wondering, man, so many of these so-called conspiracy theories what if, what if, just a little thought experiment, some of them that are super pervasive right now were actually a psyop to discourage people from looking at some of these grains of truth that are embedded within them because they're getting thrown out, right, via this guilt by association kind of, right, form of dismissiveness that is so common. So again, I'll say it again, if we just immediately, right, discount people because they hold some problematic, right, misunderstandings, then some other things can, right, inadvertently get dismissed that actually do merit, right, our engagement, do merit our pausing to attempt to understand, hang on a minute, what's someone grasping towards right there, right? And again, totally understand not everyone wants to be open in that kind of way right now or do that conceptual work right now. If and when the time is right, though, it absolutely is there for us to take seriously. Um, so again, to attempt to soften some of the right divides that people are acting like are intractable politically right now, but that most assuredly are not, right? And again, another example of this that we could talk about right now is, right, Trump saying that he's wanting to pull troops out of, right, multiple areas that these, right, so-called liberals on MSNBC are resisting, right? Because they're so dogmatically, right, committed to perceiving every single thing he does as problematic, right? That they're not, right, recognizing that actually that's a win for the anti-war movement, right? That's a win for soldiers that might not get murdered and for, right, people that are the victims of U.S. imperialism that might be able to breathe and survive for another day. And so, right, this kind of just rampant partisanship that is so horrifically unchecked in the U.S., right, settler colonial scene right now, it's not going to get us this level of discernment, which is one of the reasons why it's important for me to name this, right? Lil Angry sharing one small truth to QAnon theories is the Epstein trafficking ring, which includes Democratic politicians. A hundred percent. So that is exactly one of the reasons why, again, where we've got the capacity for folks that are down to go down that rabbit hole, right, I will certainly, right, escort folks in parsing out the ridiculousness from substantiated grains of truth, right? And again, also on that front, it's just so devastating to see people engaged in these, right, just hyper-partisan charades and performances that aren't making space to acknowledge that, right? Like this, right, former Clinton aide that was like, oh yeah, Clinton definitely went to Epstein's island. Like this is verifiable. And it's just like radio silence in so many spaces around that, right? And we see this with so many forms of sexual abuse that are just horrifically partisan in the coverage of or lack thereof, where it's like, wait, do you only care about, right, people or children not being abused 
if it was people of the opposite political party that were the aggressors. What in the hell is that? That's not caring about that issue. That's this partisan hackery, right? So yeah, I appreciate your bringing in that example. It's so important for people to be more honest about than we're seeing in corporate media coverage, right? So, you know, something else I would want to bring in here is that decolonization requires demilitarization. It also requires denuclearization. And if you want to learn more about this, right, I really invite you to check out the anthology that's called Militarized Currents towards a decolonized future in Asia and the Pacific, because this anthology makes that quite clear. So it was published in 2010 by the University of Minnesota Press. And this text for real is required reading for folks who want to understand US and Japanese colonialisms in the Pacific today. So let's actually see what I wrote here in a 2011 review I published of this book in Asia Pacific Viewpoints. That's a geography scholarly journal out of the University of Wellington in Aotearoa, or so-called New Zealand. So the editors, Dr. Satsu Shigematsu of UC Riverside and Dr. Keith Camacho of UCLA, show how militarization is an extension of colonialism. So the pieces in this volume are looking to the role of demilitarization within decolonization. So I bring this in because, right, a whole lot of us, right, that are here for decolonization, right, really need to understand, for those of us that are committed to decolonization, that means we need to be committed to demilitarization. That means that we need to be committed to de nuclearization and people really don't seem to be evidencing within our communities anywhere near the understanding of that that's non-negotiable if we're going to get free and around that actually i'd like to play a song for you from dr teresia teua who is a black and kiribati beloved scholar poet an anti-nuclear activist from Fiji. I had the pleasure of meeting the late Professor Teiwa in 2012 when she was invited by CPIS, the Center for Pacific Island Studies, to give an address on Fiji women, soldiers, and poetry at the Kamakakukaolani Center for Hawaiian Studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, so let's listen to her song. It's just a minute long. That's actually called Bad Coconuts. And I'm going to pull up the lyrics for y'all if you would like to read along uh, just to see what it is that she has to teach us related to what nuclear colonialism has done in the Pacific, right, in so many of the land bases and waterways that she has thrown down for over the course of her lifetime. Let's just have a, a one minute listen and you can feel free to read along to the lyrics. An apple a day, an apple a day, keeps the doctor away, keeps the doctor away. An apple a day, an apple a day, keeps the doctor away, keeps the doctor away. Together. But a coconut a day will kill you, a coconut a day. If you live on Monroe, 
That's a real gem from the archives. I'm so, so honored to be able to be sharing, right, that poetry, that music with y'all from Dr. Teiwa. And it's really important for me to bring her here in because she's one of, right, within this field of scholarship and activism, the most well-known scholars on nuclear colonialism, and gender, right? So for example, she mentioned the bikini atoll within, right, this song. And is anyone familiar with, right, the bikini atoll, right? Please feel free to let me know if you are. If not, please look it up at your earliest convenience. So this is actually, right, when people hear the word bikini, what do they typically think of, right, this skimpy swimsuit? But the, right, bikini is actually an atoll in the Pacific that was horrifically bombed by the U.S. military. And so it's so important, right, for us to be able to think through, one, what are reparations for, de uh, for nuclear colonialism going to look like throughout the Pacific, whether it's in, right, the Bikini Atoll on Koholave and so many other areas, right, in Guahan or so-called Guam, right, in Saipan, right, in the Marianas, right, what about in Puerto Rico, what about in Okinawa, what about in so many other areas in the Philippines, right, where feminists are doing this work not only to stop this horrific testing, but also to receive restitution because generations later, people are still being born with the most horrific health impacts, right, of their islands and their waters having been tested on, like happens at Bikini Atoll. So again, if you're not familiar with, right, the movement to stop nuclear colonialism, I could not more strongly invite you to check out the legendary work, right, of Dr. Teresia Teawa. Um, she's got a, one essay, possibly her most well-known essay, that's called bikinis and other specific notions, specific like Pacific and notions like oceans, like Pacific Ocean. Uh, so really inviting people to look at, right, how militarism such as nuclear colonialism epically distorts our understanding of gender, what it does to us in terms of gendering and sex. Um, so we've talked about already a whole lot of, right, different ways that militarism lies to us, right? We know that unchecked militarism, right, to receive massive public support requires monumental information wars or propaganda. And on that front, have you heard the quote, in war, truth is the first casualty? Any of y'all, I'll say it again, in war, truth is the first casualty. So the ancient Greek playwright Aeschylus recognized this literally thousands of years ago. And alas, that hasn't changed. So how about we look at the book that came out last year right, from several journalists at the Black Agenda Report that I strongly encourage folks to check out um, that's called 
American exceptionalism and American innocence, a people's history of fake news from the Revolutionary War to the War on Terror. So I'll say it again, the name of the book that I'd really like for y'all to check out is called American Exceptionalism and American Innocence, a people's history of fake news from the Revolutionary War to the War on Terror. And let's actually see what a synopsis of this book has to say, right? Let's be scary diamond saying truth is perma dead in America. You can say that again, right? Um, so let's check this out. Quote, fake news has existed long before Donald Trump. What's ironic is that fake news has indeed been the only news disseminated by rulers of U.S. empire, right? That's a quote from the book directly. And you can see here, according to the blurb of the text, according to Robert Servant and Zanny Haifang, Americans have been exposed to fake news throughout our history, News that slavery is a thing of the past, that we don't live on stolen land, that wars are fought to spread freedom and democracy, that a rising tide lifts all boats, that prisons keep us safe, and that the police serve and protect. Thus, the only, quote, news, end quote, ever reported by various channels of U.S. empire is the news of American exceptionalism and American innocence. And as this book will hopefully show, it's all fake, right? So again, this is part of why I really want to invite y'all to check out this text. They published it before I could, which is very helpful, right? We don't have time to do all the things, right? To really invite people to have a little more historical rigor when we talk about fake news that, again, so many liberals have been hand-wringing about in the past four years in a way that's just horrifically disingenuous, right? And this is why, again, when we take it back, what are some examples of fake news? How about that weapons of mass destruction story, right? That how many of the corporate media outlets had as front page headlines for years to justify U.S. terrorism, especially in Iraq and Afghanistan. Do y'all remember how, oh right, weapons of mass destruction were never found? Do y'all remember how, oh right, that was a lie? Where are the reparations, right, for the devastation that the U.S. right military is still imposing on Iraq and Afghanistan today? Right, Ooh little angry sharing the white helmets in Syria, go there, right? So there are so many examples of nuclear weapons in Iran, right? My God, our loved ones in Iran, what their Gregorian year of 2020 started out like and what it is ending like, right? Still with this, right, warmongering, right? And a potential attack on Iran, let alone, right, the executions, the assassinations, whether it's of right General Qasem Soleimani at the beginning of the year or this most recent assassination, like this is illegal, this is unethical, right? This is what we're talking about right now. But the thing is, unfortunately, so many of our loved ones, right, don't have time to be researching all of this, right? And don't have time or energy to necessarily be boundarying themselves, right? away from the ridiculous, right, warmongering propaganda that we're seeing in CSNBC, right, in Fox, and right, all of these major corporate media outlets. So a whole lot of people, right, just 
actually ends up being impacted by that propaganda, right? And so I really want to invite us to be on the lookout for it because it is so incredibly dangerous. And you know, one more book that I'd want to invite y'all's attention to because it's legendary in this field too, is Professor Cynthia Inlow's text, Bananas, Beaches, and Bases, Making Feminist Sense of International Politics that was published by the University of California Press. Because again, we don't need to be subject to this right nonstop, right propagandistic, right warmongering that we see in the corporate media. There's rad scholarship that's been happening for decades, right, calling this out. And so I just sincerely want to invite us to devote some time and energy to learning about that so that we have got, right, some tools to support us in being more boundaried against all of that white noise, right? Because the thing is, in the absence of having, right, some of, right, these tools to be able to fight back against those information wars, so to speak, right, or those psyops, a lot of people just absorb that propaganda. What's an example of that? Have you ever interacted with folks that legit think the state, the U.S. federal government, monopolizes acceptable uses of violence, right? We've definitely been brainwashed to believe that. That is absolutely the mainstream understanding of violence, is right that the state, they get to monopolize, right, any acceptable use of violence, right? But any of the rest of us know then we would be what? Terrorists, right? Then we would be violent so-called criminals, right? Um, and so things like that make this kind of collective murder that we have been talking about seem more natural, right? It makes this move to an even more unchecked surveillance state seem normal, right? For our benefit, for our security, for our protection, right? And so I'm curious to get a sense from y'all, in your bones, have you come to terms with the gravity of the unnecessary atrocities that are happening at the magnitude that they are by the U.S. military? Let's be scary diamond sharing the war on terror. Exactly, right? So it's called the war on terror, right? Or it was anyways when it started. It's more aptly named the war of terror. And the Obama administration in 2008 renamed it the overseas contingency operation. This is called, right, just changing of window dressing, right? Like you change a name and then a lot of people will literally say like, there's no more war on terror. Wow, you must be so behind the times without recognizing, wow, you got hustle that easily by this superficial change of window dressing we can do better than that come on let's critically think this is actually serious right little angry sharing la sheriffs are literally in a police gang so ironic you can say that again so this right domestically most consistently comes up when it comes to policing like cops are allowed to murder people and that's just for our safety you're not allowed to think about it they're the ones that are allowed to have weapons but anybody else <gasps> terrorists right criminals exactly right and that's something that millions of people literally believe like they've never had a space to stop and to critically think wow who polices the police 
who would want benefits from that, right? Because it's so naturalized within our mainstream understanding. Yeah, they have gang tattoos, murder for initiation. So much of this has been exposed. But here's the thing. If it is not mainstream media, right, front page headlines, a whole lot of folks aren't ever even going to be able to hear that. And this is so often what, right, actual, right, uh, censorship looks like today is you'd have to try to find a needle in a haystack to be able to access substantial legit information that goes against the grain. It's not even necessarily that it's going to be right explicitly scrubbed off of the internet, although that happens all the time too, right, or taken off of right Facebook or other corporate media platforms, although that is increasingly happening all the time too, right, but so often it's just right. No, the truth is there for you to find, right? Like Professor Noam Chomsky shares most famously in his scholarship, right? In the legendary text he co-authored, Manufacturing Consent. It's just if you literally have to wade through 999 fake stories to be able to access one gem of wisdom, right? The vast majority of people are going to be like, Mm, I'm going to go with what 999 articles said. That makes me feel safer. I want to be in the norm, right? And so also we really need to check the way that conformity gets in the way of people's capacity to critically think. Because we know that a lot of people, right, even if they see, right, the, right, horrific, right, extrajudicial killings, to use a nice sanitizing word, right, on the part of cops or the military and they're horrified by it, they might not have, to keep it real, right, a backbone to name that. If they're the only one at a dinner table of five people that are like, no, this is actually almost assuredly a sham, Right. So if we haven't, right, worked our muscles of being down to not conform in the face of an unethical status quo, many of our loved ones will know a thing, but they're not necessarily going to be in a place to even name it out loud to others or to act on it. Right. Um, American cops being trained by the IDF in occupied Palestine. You can say that again, right? So again, you see how earlier I was talking about how there's never been this neat, clean distinction between totally autonomous nation states over here and then corporations over there, right? When we see, right, the merger of, right, this illusion between domestic and international when it comes to cops in the military, that lays bare immediately how ridiculous some illusion is of totally discrete separate areas like right international and domestic no the Israeli defense forces have been training cops in the US for how long right and that so many of the programs of buying right military grade equipment by domestic police departments has everything to do with this hyper militarization that we've been talking about and a lot of people let's be real are just scared shitless of this which is part of why they're afraid to even peel back the layers of illusion to actually learn about investigative journalism and to actually critically think about these areas because it's fucking horrifying, right? But you know what's not horrifying is learning from so many of the activist scholars that I've been sharing with y'all this whole hour so that we can know what the fuck to do about it and what people have been doing about this because we don't have to be fatalistic. There are amazing legacies of anti-war organizing that for the people who have haven't been involved, right, you can get involved in that our survival's contingent upon us getting involved in, right? 
And I could even share, taking it back to when I started doing anti-war organizing in high school. Yeah, I was like spit on by random bros peeling out in their SUVs, right? Passing me on the sidewalk with my sign, right? Like I had random, right, Christians from my high school shout, support our president, support our troops, and gnarly shit happen. And that's a really helpful way to also learn a little bit more about power when we are actually fighting back and then we can actually get more clarity in terms of what it is that we're actually dealing with, right? So to back it up for a little bit, right, the deadly exchange of, quote, counterterrorism and, quote, tactics, you can say that again, right? For white settlers, anti-imperial political education needs to go hand in hand with anti-racist praxis. You can say that again. And this is exactly why, right, I was bringing in the scholarship from militarized currents, because if people don't get it yet, if you give two fucks about decolonization, you need to be fighting for demilitarization. You need to be fighting for denuclearization. So if people are marginally serious, this is one of the principal fights that we need to be throwing the fuck down for. So it's horrifying to me to not even see people taking that seriously, right? It's like not even on their agenda because what the fuck is, right? And so people can be a little bit more politically mature and go there. We're capable of it. There are rad resources. There are folks, you know, at least one of them that has been doing this work literally since I was a child right? We don't need to just continue hiding because it's scary, right? A little angry sharing, yes, because the U.S. police slash paramilitary occupying force primarily surveils and oppresses BIPOC, precisely. And this is one of the things that, again, is so uh, horrifying about so much libertarianism today is, right, and this is also one of the things that's so horrifying when people in the mainstream just talk shit on libertarians that do raise certain issues about, right, what we're talking about as alleged conspiracy theorists, quote unquote, is no, they're actually completely right on when it comes to so much that they're ringing the alarm about. It's just they haven't even done their homework well enough to know that what they're talking about is history and contemporary reality for billions of BIPOC all over the planet. They're just afraid for when it happens to them, right? So it's actually completely erroneous when, say, centrist Democrats, right, or people writing in the Atlantic or some shit are like, oh my God, look at these libertarian so-called conspiracy theorists, they're like so, insert sanest epithet, right? This is so pervasive right now, quote, unhinged, end quote. And it's like, by unhinged, do you mean they have more of an understanding of systems of power than you've ever demonstrated in any of your publishing career? Like, yeah, if maybe they have some, right, white supremacist bias, then they apparently still don't understand how this has happened to so many of the rest of us and is happening to so many of the rest of us. That doesn't mean that they're wrong in their concerns. And we need to be much more unequivocally clear about that distinction right now, right? Parney Sharon, would you say Wonder Woman, John Wick, Mad Max, all the action movies fall into this criticism? A shit ton of them do, to be sure. And I would share some movies that are super violent might have legit critiques seated within them, like in the case of, say, The Matrix or Fight Club. But the thing is, if the critique is super subtle, some people will miss it. And at the same time, if the method that someone is using to share a rad critique, like in The Matrix or in Fight Club, is so violent, a lot of people are also absorbing that normalization and naturalization of violence while they're getting some rad philosophical critique and messaging, if that doesn't go over there. 
their heads, which for a lot of people it does, right? Um, and so, yeah, we've really got to be on the lookout for that, right? And especially when it comes to Wonder Woman, right? Again, the diversity and inclusion of the Titanic, right? Like diversifying the empire, whether it's through Condoleezza Rice or Obama or Colin Powell, right? Or most of Biden's cabinet, right? That makes things worse materially in the world. Those are not causes to celebrate. That's a horrifying strengthening of empire. So especially when it comes to people just uncritically celebrating, say, women in positions to be able to enact horrific violence via imperialism that really needs to be unequivocally checked. There's nothing impressive about that, right? And there's so much related to gendering here too, with some people having these super essentialist ideas, like if only more women were in positions of power, then there'd be more peace on earth. And again, feminists have been calling out that trash since the beginning of that trash. Benazir Bhutto, Madeleine Albright, Hillary Clinton, Condoleezza Rice, how many more examples do we need? That's not even true. And so for any of these hippies that pretend to care about peace, they need to learn from those of us that have actually been doing anti-war activism on the ground for longer than they've been alive so that they can unlearn those lies so they can actually show up in a way to be able to support peace for people who are in, into that and into imperialism, right? Uh, let's see, Lee BDS sharing, I live in Portland, Oregon, and the counterinsurgency tactics they use on protesters were tested on Palestinians and then have spread to other Americans, KKK. Um, cities this summer. 100%. You can say that again. The actress who plays Wonder Woman served in the IDF, that's right, and is a lawyer who holds up apartheid law under Palestinians living under Zionist occupation. Right, yeah, them choosing also this Israeli woman for that position was horrifically sketchy and an epic red flag from the beginning of that project for so many of us, right? Jackson Greens and sharing system abuses um, people purposely with oppressive systems that when they're burnt out and unfulfilled in their free time, untruths and it takes energy to learn otherwise, the truth damns the system. You can say that again, right? And also, like you said, when people are burnt out and they're just exhausted and maybe, right, like Dr. Chomsky says, they don't have time to do a research project when they get home, right? They're just too tired for that. So yeah, it's very easy, how convenient to just turn on the TV and to absorb this propaganda, and it's very sleek and it's very well-funded, right? And it fronts as, right, being the ultimate arbiter of legit modes of understanding international politics, so millions of our loved ones have actually been hustled accordingly, right? Um, Lexi sharing, yes, we need to check politicians on their platforms of power instead of focusing on identity politics. You can say that again, like, where is the politics in identity politics, right? And it's so unfortunate that so many people, right, that have been hustled by this diversity and inclusion co-optation of our movements for liberation don't understand that yet, right? Um, wow, I feel like I'm just getting started and there's so much more that I would love to share with y'all. Uh, well, how about, since that is all that we have time for for right now, yes! Shout out to Harsha Wally is Undoing Border Imperialism. You can say that again. I really want to encourage people to check out her work and the book Feminism Without Borders, Great Analysis and Alignment with Your Critiques. Yeah, her work is rad. I would definitely want to encourage people to check out that text. Thank you for that. And it's also a good example of the way that we absolutely need to be able to understand U.S. imperialism and U.S. settler colonialism simultaneously in tandem. And also, right, she's writing from the Canadian, right, settler colony. Similarly, Canada's a fucking empire too. Let's talk about where they
they, right, get their so-called uh, natural resources from, right, and the impact that they're having, right, in the so-called global south all over, right? Similarly, right, when it comes to Canadian settler colonialism and Canadian empire simultaneously, right? These are not competing movements. They're totally mutually constitutive. Um, do I have any recommendations for anti-imperialist orgs to work with? Oof, I would invite you to check out, um, so for media, the Black Agenda Report that I was shouting out earlier with that book, because they share consistent, rad, anti-imperialist, right, um, critical media literacy and overwhelmingly on the part of right, black scholars and activists and other BIPOC folks. Um, a firm for sure does work around this. I would also really invite you to check out Insight Women of Color Against Violence because they have so many rad um, abolitionist literature and sort of analyses, right, from the past couple of decades to scope out too. Um, and also, if you look at um, the demilitarization movement, right, in Korea, also in Guahan and Hawaii in Okinawa, right, I would invite you to check out some of their work too. If you look up the work of um, Margaret Okazawa Ray, who is one of the founders of the Kombihi River Collective, who I interviewed towards the beginning of my Feral Visions podcast, she is all up in this work, right, from the Pacific to Palestine. And so check out um, her radio show, right? Feminist magazine based in the Bay, um, because every week she and her co-hosts interview amazing, overwhelmingly BIPOC feminist activists doing anti-imperialist work. And hell yes, Indigenous Action, Cleveland kind of who's, yes, um, Manuel, we were shouting out Indigenous Action just in our direct action video on Saturday. As a woman, I don't attain more worth or freedom for an opportunity to murder other, yes, you could say that again. Um, all right, I am really gonna stop because if not, I could just continue going on about this for the rest of the day. You're welcome. Um, well, thank you all so much for having a listen. I really hope you go Go back through this recording to get some of the amazing right resources and activists' names that I shouted out so that you can check some of them out. Uh, and more broadly, if you're open to sharing this out with folks, that would be awesome because people really need to understand if they give two fucks about decolonization, we need to be denuclearizing, we need to be demilitarizing, we need more of these conversations and awareness. Um, don't plagiarize me, right? Feel free to cite me if you want to share any of these ideas out. And if you're able to kick down anything via Patreon or PayPal, that is the only way that I'm able to share, right, this insurgent intellectual work. So I would sincerely appreciate your consideration on that front. All right, I appreciate y'all so much for coming through and for getting into this right challenging material. You can say that again. Long live international solidarity. You're welcome. And, you know, I hope to see y'all for a rad dialogue about consent when we do some seed planting on Saturday. All right, out of respect for y'all's time, we can go ahead and close. That's it for today's episode of Feral Visions, a decolonial feminist podcast brought to you by Liberation Spring. I've been your host, Anjali Nathupadhyay, and I thank you for listening. I'm also curious to know what this dialogue evoked for you. I invite you to post your reflections and questions in the comments section below to continue our collective journey of unlearning, remembering, and imagining. If you want to share feedback, such as segment ideas or potential guests you'd like to hear on the show, email liberationspring at gmail.com. 
And don't forget to follow Feral Visions on SoundCloud or iTunes, where you can find our show archive. If you'd like more information on this show's topic or to donate to the project, check out liberationspring.com. Thanks to Catherine Petru and Nicole Gervasio of our technical production team and Climbing Poetry for our theme song. Be sure to tune in for next week's episode. And in the meantime, let's make our ancestors proud. The power of the people is louder than the evil, deceitful and coward. People in power are power to the people. It's the hour of the peaceful. Freedom is ours. Yeah. Freedom is ours. <laughs>